But hey everyone, before we get into today's stories, I wanted to mention a few things. I'm sorry that all the stories lately have been really dark and disturbing. That's just kind of how it is sometimes. But I wanted to mention that these stories are a little different than normal. It's creepy experiences that happen during a winter setting, so they're not all going to involve like a snowstorm or something, if that's what you thought these stories were. I also wanted to mention that story number 5 mentions drug use and domestic violence, and story number 4 mentions an accidental death. Without any more interruptions, let's continue. And remember, to always, stay hungry. I lived in a fairly big city, but it isn't one that immediately pops into your mind whenever you think of a city. It was 2014, and at the time, do you guys remember those t-shirts that said you loved a specific country or city across the front of the shirt? Well, they were super popular back then. I had one that said I Heart London, as well as a hoodie that said I Heart New York. I wasn't living in either one of those cities. One day I was out shopping in an indoor area with my friend who I'll call Kay, and a random man approached me. He was average height, average build, and had a long gray beard and black cap on. He grinned at me like he recognized me, which had made me pause for a second, and he held on his arms as if he expected me to hug him. I turned around, but he was clearly focused on me and Kay. We kind of just glanced at each other, and I smiled back at the man and went to step sideways to pass him. My friend did the same, and we got past him, when we then heard him call after us. Hey! Do you girls live in London? I knew he was referring to my t-shirt. I thought it was pretty random, but I figured he was harmless, and I always felt like I had to be polite to everyone. I smiled and said, No, I just like London before turning back and continuing to walk with my friend. He then shouted something about loving London too, and also how he knew we weren't tourists, and I just turned around and gave him a quick smile. My friend just ignored him, and we talked about how random that was. Well, a few weeks later, I was with the same friend, and we went on the bus together. Ironically, I had the I Heart NYC hoodie on because it was winter, well, that same guy from the shopping center just so happened to get on our bus. We were sitting in one of the middle seats, my friend closest to the window. I recognized the man immediately. He didn't have a hat on this time, and I could see his hair was really bushy without it. He grinned yet again, and he sort of crouched down and walked up the aisle in a weird way. He was walking like John Wayne, with his legs pointed oddly and then approached us like we were toddlers. He never took that weird grin off his face. My friend didn't notice him at first, but I elbowed her, and she soon realized as he got closer who he was. Unfortunately, the seat in front of us was empty. He sat down, put his elbows in the back of his seat, and placed his hands on his face. He was staring at us wide-eyed, and I remember folding my arms because he was staring at my chest. I should have already mentioned by now, but I'm a female, so I felt uncomfortable. He asked me, So you're a New York lover now, huh? I just smiled at him and said, Yeah. And then I looked around the bus trying to signal that I didn't want to talk. 
I can't imagine how he could have known we would be on that bus, and it was weeks later. But it's such a creepy coincidence that he was on this same bus. Anyways, I took out my phone and pretended to be texting on it. I could feel the man just staring at me, not even turning around or removing his arms from the back of his seat. My friend fell tense next to me, and she took her phone out too. We actually began texting each other. My friend was basically saying that he was a total creep and we should talk to the bus driver. I wasn't sure what to do because I didn't want us to look stupid. I mean, he hadn't really done anything, and I tried to tell myself that he was maybe just lonely and looking to chat with strangers. The man just stared at us, and it was so awkward. We still had like 10 minutes left on the bus ride, and the man had ignored my friend. He asked me if I had ever lived in New York, to which I said no, and then he asked me if I'd always lived in X City. I tried to be vague, but he just kept bombarding me with the same questions. He'd asked me how many times I'd visited other cities, did I prefer London or New York, etc. It was such a bizarre interaction. When it was finally our stop, my friend and I quickly got up and practically ran off the bus. Thank God the man didn't follow us. My friend and I lived in different directions, so we phoned each other and we didn't hang up until we were each in our houses. This might not be that scary to many of you, and I know I can't actually prove that the man was a stalker, but it was certainly a strange coincidence. I mean, what are the odds that I'd have an item of clothing on that says I heart XYZ? The man was definitely odd though. I'm just glad nothing bad ever happened. I live in northern Ontario where we get lots of snow. It's not uncommon for us to have waist-deep snow in the forest. So for fun, my family did a lot of snowmobiling, and over the years we've had some scary moments. I'm going to recount some of my most unnerving experiences. Here's the first one. I can barely recall the details of the story, as it happened in the early 1980s and I was maybe about four or five years old at the time. Most of what I can remember is due to the story being recounted by my father and my brother Steve. My father and my brother, who was 12 years old, and I went out for a day trip. My dad and I were on the 440cc Polaris, and my brother followed us on an old land, and we then crossed Lake Nipissing near North Bay. On our way out, it was very uneventful, we crossed the lake and stopped at one place, then made fire, cooked wieners, marshmallows, and a little bit of ice fishing too. It was on the way back that we almost died. It was getting dark pretty quickly, and we were heading back home the same way we came. My dad was going pretty fast while I was sitting in front of him. All of a sudden, the trail had disappeared, and it was pitch black in front of us. My old man then slammed the brake when the machine came to a full stop. We discovered that there was a huge pressure crack on the lake, and there was maybe about 30 feet of open water in front of us. And then at the other end of the ice, it lifted, and it made a two or three foot wall. The skis of our sled was hanging over the water by almost a foot and a half. As most of you probably know, most of the weight is in the front where the engine is 
we were basically teetering on the edge of the water. The only thing that prevented us from going into the water was my father's weight. My dad had thought about jumping off and let the machine go in, but he wasn't sure if he could pull it off with me in his arms. Luckily, Steve stopped further back and ran towards us, then putting his weight on the back end of the machine and started pulling the sled back. This allowed my dad to pull me off, then reduce the weight in the front. Between my father pushing backwards with his feet and my brother pulling, they were finally able to back off the sled off the edge. We had to do a large detour to go around the pressure crack that seemed to go on forever, but we did finally get out of there. I was maybe about 12 years old. I had a few friends that went with their father to do some ice fishing on a nearby lake. I wanted to join them, but they didn't have any room for me in the truck. Unfortunately for me, my dad was tired from a night shift and sleeping, so I decided to take the old Polaris TX that had dual headlights and join them. Side note, most snowbills at the time only had one light and it made the machine easy to recognize. I decided to lie to my mother, as I knew that I wasn't allowed to go that far. I just told her I was going to join my friends and go to our cabin that we had built in the bush, which was roughly about five minutes away, and that we were going to cook over a fire. It wasn't uncommon for us to hang out there until like 6 or 7 p.m., and then come back in the dark. In reality, it was more like a 30-minute ride to the lake, and I had to cross a road that I wasn't allowed to cross to get to my buddy's fishing hut. We pretty much stayed there all day, taking turns taking the snowbills for a rip on the lake, and to do some fishing and so on. Around 5.30pm, it had gotten dark pretty fast, and I decided to head home. As I was crossing the lake, the only thing I could see is what was lit up by my headlights and I was doing easily 50 miles per hour on the groomed trail. All of a sudden, I noticed a red flashing taillight and a headlight, so I then slammed the brakes. Well, I stopped about 60 feet away from a black pickup truck that had attempted to cross over the groomed trail and got stuck. The guy had abandoned his truck, presumably to get another vehicle to pull him free. Please note that this was around 1989 or 1990, and cell phones were virtually non-existent at this point. What really saved me was that a friend of my brother's that happened to be there, and when he saw a snow machine with two headlights, he knew right away that it was my brother's Polaris. He jumped on his sled and started to pull his rope to start his machine, and then put light on the truck so I could see it, but it wouldn't start until the fourth or fifth pull. What got my attention and made me stop is that his lights would flicker on every time he pulled the rope, and I thought someone was in trouble and needed help. It's a real good thing that I stopped. I would have slammed into that truck at 40 or 50 miles per hour. Of course, I did get in trouble, and I lost my sledding privilege for the rest of that season. So yeah, that's my winter horror story. So one day at work, me and a couple co-workers were lounging lazily outside smoking on a break. One of my younger co-workers told us the story that his dad had told him, as it had happened in the recent last couple of years. He explained that his father did some kind of work involving checking and diagnosing power lines for problems with electricity. 
At the time, he was working at a popular ski resort, just a little ways up the hill out of our small historic town. On the evening of this incident, the ski lifts were out of order, so he was called in near dark to go check and follow the power lines to find the problem. So he set out equipped with a flashlight to go check it out. After he checked a couple of poles and followed the lines, he had sat down for a break before continuing. Once finished, he had switched on his flashlight in order to see through the falling snow and darkness. In the snowbound silence, he had made his way to the next pole, following the nearly invisible power lines against the black sky. As he approached the next pole, he noticed an odd shadow behind it, dancing in the swaying beam of his flashlight. At first, he wasn't really sure what it could possibly be, but as he got closer, he began to get a feeling of dread in the pit of his stomach. That feeling grew as he started to realize that he was now seeing a pair of legs sticking straight up out of the snow at the base of the power pole. One leg was still attached to a snowboard, while the other leg was free of the board and bent at an angle. Nothing moved. There was only the stillness and silence of the snow slowly falling around him. He wondered for a few seconds what or if there was something he could do to help the victim. He decided to run up to the site and try and save the victim by digging them out by hand. He dug and dug furiously and panicked, only to realize as he dug down enough to expose half of the body that he was much too late to save them. He's not sure how long, but he just sat and cried, helpless that he couldn't save them. Well, eventually he got up, and he went to inform the necessary people of his grisly discovery but the staff had already known whom he'd found. Apparently earlier that day, a family had reported their daughter missing to the ski resort staff after she'd left the group to catch the ski lift to go board back down. Once she failed to return after a couple of hours, they started to worry. That worry turned to terror after over eight hours had passed. What had apparently happened was that on her way down the hill while snowboarding, she most likely noticed the power pole a little too late, and trying to stop, she fell head first into a tree hollow hole that had formed at the base of the power pole. Unable to dig herself out from being upside down, she eventually suffocated. She had managed to yank one foot loose from the binding in the snowboard, in her desperation to free herself. That was the most terrifying part to me. I'm a female, and when I was 21 years old, I was single, living with friends, and I had a job at Dunkin' Donuts. I came home from work one evening later than normal because of the fact that corporate was coming in the following day for an inspection, and I found the door locked, with everyone asleep. Oh, and I didn't have a house key. By the way, it was December, and I live in New York, so the weather was snowy, as well as extremely cold. So I had walked to my friend's house only two blocks away from my house, and I found the usually unlocked door was actually locked. So I thought for a minute, and I headed another four blocks over to my ex's mother's house. I wanted to see if his brothers were possibly awake and would let me sleep over because I was beginning to get really cold. Once I arrived, I had knocked and listened before the light by the door turned on and I hear my ex's little brother Cody ask who it is, as he was trying to sound older than he was. 
which I then chuckled before saying it's me. He led me inside and hugged me before asking why I was there past 1.30 a.m. So I explained the situation. He said that I could crash on the couch and I was very happy when suddenly a guy older than the two brothers came out of the kitchen, then introduced himself as Jimmy. Jimmy, Cody, and I talked for over an hour before Jimmy then declared that he cuffed me. So I was off the market and I then chuckled when I asked, um, what's that? He then explained to me that he was my boyfriend now and I was honestly pretty lonely after being single for so many months, so I just accepted it. This is when I should have had the first red flag. He then said that when I announced I was sleepy that I needed to go to his room and then get the girl he had out of bed so that I could go to bed. I was so confused when he said that, but when I went to the room, it was my known frenemy who I'll call Libby, and I was all for kicking her out of the bed and house. I did as he told me that night, and I really shouldn't have. He was pretty much like that during our whole relationship, and if I tried to not comply with his demands, I got insults thrown at me, or worse. He'd beat the living hell out of me, making sure to leave my face unmarked so nobody knew that I was being abused. Over time, he also began getting me to do cocaine, but never willingly. He would literally have a mound of cocaine on the table or mirror, and he would then grab my hair before pushing my face to the powder, nose first, right into it, all while holding me in play with his weight and strength. I tried not breathing, trying to not inhale, but I always failed. I'd then inhale and everything would rush in my body before going dark for many hours. It wasn't ideal, but it wasn't my choice whatsoever. But the worst thing that happened to me was when he took me out of town to his hometown. He wanted to see his friends. Now, he was in a group of very bad people that ran drugs and did violent things to rival groups. And I never ever went on these visits, as I wasn't involved with such groups. Well, we arrived at the group's extra house, and once I got inside, I was then pushed to the middle of the room. My knees kicked out from behind, making me fall to my knees. There was then a 45 put to my skull, as they then began demanding to know where their cocaine or money was. He had done the cocaine himself instead of selling it like he was supposed to. And now they were mad. They then said that he better go get their money, and they also said that he only had four hours before they blew out my brains, as I was to stay until time was up, or until he paid up. So yeah, I peed my pants and cried silently as I kept my eyes closed. He rushed out to go get the money, and they dropped the gun. The leader of the group then told everyone to calm down, before he then walked up and said to get up. But I told him that I can't, and when he said why, I said that I had peed my pants. He then told me to come with him somewhere, so I did as I was told, very afraid for my life. He had ordered one of the group members to clean my urine off the hardwood, and we then entered a bedroom before he closed the door. He said to find stuff in the closet and change really quickly. And again, I did as I was told, staying silent. He had turned around and faced the door as I then changed into sweats and a hoodie, and he asked who I was and who I was to Jimmy. I told him, and then he asked if I knew if he sold drugs. I told him yes, that I did know, and he asked if I did any of the drugs. 
I said that I only did weed except when Jimmy held my face into the cocaine and he made me inhale it. Hearing this made him even more angry at Jimmy. We then went back into the living room and he had me sit on the floor between his legs, all while I smoked a blunt that he had given me to calm my nerves. I was keeping quiet and minding my own business. Not that I understood anything they were saying because they were speaking in Spanish and I only speak English. Well, Jimmy had finally returned, and he had their money. They then told him not to mess shit up again, or they'd shoot him in the head. They said this since they knew that I wasn't into cocaine, and I shouldn't be punished for his stupidity. Before he then agreed not to do it again, then grabbing my hand, leading me out of the door with his new shipment of cocaine. He was really angry that I told them how I didn't do the drugs that he forced me to do, and how I put all the blame on him but I just ignored him. After we got back home, he was really mad, proceeding to disrespect me while I was showering, and he actually used my deceased great-grandmother's large mirror to weigh out his cocaine. That mirror was given to me by my great-grandmother by her priest, so it was sacred in my family. So when I came into the room after I took a shower, I totally flipped out for the first and last time, and I told him we were over as I grabbed the mirror. I then flipped it in the air, causing the cocaine to fly everywhere. He had tried beating on me again, but I just kept throwing punches and kicks, throwing things at his head while throwing things out the window. I then left, getting the fuck out of there. I was finally liberated and free that day. I was happy. My ex Jimmy was a complete nightmare, and I wish him no good vibes at all, not now or for the future all because of how he treated me like I was beneath him. Even to this day, if he sees me, he'll try to attack me. So I try to avoid him as best as I can. Please, everyone, if you have a crazy ex, stay away from them. It's really the only thing you can do. Hey, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed these stories. If you ever want to submit your own, you can do so at southerncannibal.com. Have a good night, everyone. And remember, to always stay.